Hello, I'm Dr Jodie Richardson and you're listening to, well, Hello Anxiety, a podcast where we end the struggle with anxiety and build our toolkit of practical skills to thrive. It's really lovely to, to see online that when you, you know, you're Dr Happy and that's how we all know and love you, but you do share that Dr Happy isn't happy all the time. Can you tell us a little bit about the, you know, the fact that you have your own ups and downs like everybody else does? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, before I was Dr. Happy, I was Dr. Miserable. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I've experienced uh, quite severe depression on and off for pretty much all my adult life. Um, uh, before I even knew what it was, before we spoke about these things, um, in fact, it really wasn't spoken about when I was really uh, at my worst and young, when I was younger, I suppose. This is before are you okay day and before November and before Beyond Blue and all those things. So so I didn't really know what was going on. My parents didn't really know what was going on. No, no one really did. Um, even doctors and psychologists probably didn't know as much back then. Um, and I certainly didn't speak much about it. But as, uh, as I got more uh, confident, I suppose, um, and as the, um, the movement of speaking out and sharing lived experiences has grown and grown, uh, which I think is a fantastic thing, um, I've been much more comfortable um, uh, sharing my experiences. And I think it's important because I think um, the more of us that speak out, uh, the less lonely other people feel, the less uh, stigma there is. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, as much as I've uh, focused on uh, trying to promote positive psychology and help people be happy and, and look, you know, I am happy some of the time, <laughs> uh, more more uh, often than not these days, I suppose. But, yeah, my depression still rears its um pretty ugly head at times um, and again I think it's important that I speak about it so that people have realistic expectations not just of me but for themselves and for everyone. Mm, I love I love that you've found that you've been able to you know that uh, look times have changed certainly more people are open and and I think too as as adults we, we develop our comfortability sharing don't we and and have, have you found that that in, in sharing that you had a had a really positive response from the people who are in your world personally as well as professionally? Oh, 100%. Um, and that's for a couple of reasons. Though. I suppose I didn't um, really share until the movement was, you know, starting to become established. So, um, uh, you know, it was certainly a lot easier if I, I think if I'd come out a, a lot earlier. Um, well, I don't think I would have got a negative response then, but I think there would have just been a lot less well, more ignorance, uh, less awareness, I suppose. Um, in fact, I, I, but I, I still remember that the first time I, uh, came out technically or formally um, uh, and, and you know my obviously my immediate family and um, knew about it because um, well they'd seen and lived it for years and years I suppose but but at one point quite a few years ago now I decided to formally come out because I'd started to sort of dabble in sharing my story and so I sent an email to um, uh, to, to my I guess what I would consider my closest circle of friends um, as in my immediate family knew um, and I basically just said, you know, I'm going to be starting to talk more publicly about this. You might see or hear something. Um, but, you know, I wanted to tell you first, basically, um, that my, you know, my depression's um, been ongoing. It's quite severe at times. Um, and not only did I get a positive response, a supportive response, but what surprised me in a way is that I got a, a, a response full of shock and surprise, i.e. they said they didn't know. Now, that was particularly interesting for me because having lived with it for so long, I just thought it was so bloody obvious to me. I thought, how could people not know that I was so distressed, so dysfunctional at times? I mean, trigger warning, you know, I'd ended up in hospital twice. So I kind of just assumed that um, that my friends 
new. Um, uh, and so when they were surprised and they said basically, you know, why didn't you tell us? I was surprised that they were surprised, which oh. and, which I think makes two important points. I think one, you know, we can't always assume that other people know what we're going through, um, but also what it proved, um, and this isn't necessarily a positive thing, is how good I'd become at putting on this brave face. And, you know, I think that's what a lot of us do. Uh, we put on this brave face, we put on this smiley, happy face or this face of courage and resilience because that's what people encourage us to do. And, and that's not completely inappropriate, of course. We need to do that at times. Um, but it can actually be uh, dangerous in a way because by putting on a brave face, uh, I was, um, uh, well, reinforcing the myth in a sense and in, in some ways also discouraging other people from helping me because, you know, I was effectively telling them, even though I didn't know it necessarily, uh, I was unconsciously telling them that I was okay when I wasn't. So, um, but yeah, look, you know, short story, um, I did get a very supportive response and, and, you know, it's interesting, a number of people have continued to check in and at regular intervals, not necessarily the ones I would have predicted, which is interesting, but uh, but enough people have, you know, have continued to check in and support me at regular intervals beyond my immediate family. Mm. It's it's so interesting that you say that they were they were shocked because you 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 mustn't have felt that you were really trying to hide it. You you mustn't have felt that like a lot of people do deliberately try to put that sort of that face on. And like you say, there are appropriate times to do that. But you mustn't have sort of had that overarching kind of idea in your mind that I, I've got to hide this and I've got to put on a put on a brave face all the time. Did you did you feel as though you were able to sort of act how you felt? And that was part of the surprise sort of when, when your friends and, you know, some family members, you know, w- were taken aback when you shared your story? Well, um, well, no, I think I probably did actively try and hide it for a long time. I mean, remember, um, uh, I'm extremely old, remember, so we're going back quite a few years now. <laughs> I mean, we're in my, uh, I guess, the onset of the worst periods in my um well, very late teens, early 20s. So, again, we're going back, you know, again, this is before Beyond Blue, before AOK Day. So there really wasn't any open discussion about it. Um, It seems almost strange now to think about that. Um, But, you know, it just wasn't spoken about. So it it wasn't a conscious thing of trying to hide it. It's just what people did. It's just what was expected, I suppose. So, but I'd be, you know, I, I guess to go back, I, I was trying to hide it in a way. And, and I, so I, I guess I tried to hide it in different ways for different reasons at different times. Um, so it was, you know, and, and, and even one side. So initially there probably was some stigma. Initially there was some confusion. Initially there was a lot of just not knowing what was going on. Um, but even once I got over that and wasn't necessarily afraid or embarrassed of it, I still didn't speak about it for a while for different reasons. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's complicated. And I guess what it helped me, uh, you know, I, well, I understand very much from a first-person perspective what it's like for people. Um, even now when we're saying, you know, come out, speak about it, uh, it's still not always that easy and it still can be confusing. And, um, you know, a lot of pieces need to come together and fall into place for people to feel comfortable to do that. Yes, yes, that that's exactly right. And, you know, I, you, you take me back to my, I mean, my over, overriding challenge with my own mental health has been anxiety, you know, from a very young age. I can look back to when I was four and identify sort of first symptoms. It wasn't identified till I was 24 and that was when I was severely depressed. And like you, I, I remember the day, I remember the day that I told my girlfriends I'd been suffering with depression and we'd all gone our separate ways. We were all working by that stage. We weren't sort of in each other's lives every day. And 
And I had this worry that they wouldn't believe me because my normal personality, my normal temperament is is what you see and hear today. You know, I'm usually very upbeat and positive and 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 so to be hit with depression and it, and it absolutely knocks you for a six to the point where I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't go to work and I really didn't care if I didn't wake up, you know, that that, that was how severe it was, which is, you know, what that's what depression can do to you. Um, I didn't think they'd believe me was sort of my fear when I shared it, that they'd go, who, you, you, depressed? But again, like you like you say, this was in the time before Beyond Blue, which I ended up working for Beyond Blue. Uh, I left teaching to go and work for Beyond Blue in 2001 and they really only started up in the year 2000. So it's um, we've, we've come a long way, but like you say, you know, it's still not something com- that everybody's comfortable sharing um, you know, even in their own circles, let alone in a in a more public forum. Yeah, um, look, I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, and although I don't know if I necessarily thought about it in the same way, as in, you know, will they believe me? Um, you know, I think it was part of the reason it was a shock for a lot of people was that I'd been, um, you know, all through school, I'd been, uh, I think, ostensibly anyway, you know, relatively popular, relatively successful academically. You know, played in the sort of top sporting teams. I was, you know, the head prefect of the school, and and then even at university, even though there was a few uh, stumbles along the way. You know, I, I got good marks, and then got a good job, and then didn't. So, you know, professionally, um, and uh, you know, in almost every regard, from the outside, I would have been seen as successful. But in my mind, um, you know, it was a roaring um, you know, imposter syndrome. Uh, and uh, severe depressive thinking that um, you know it was I, I could get an Olympic gold medal in turning positives into negatives or or discounting positives anyway. So um, you know, so I guess again, you know, I can fully understand why um, you know ostensible trappings of success don't always translate into people's uh, you know subjective experiences. So certainly, is in in my case, and they still don't to some extent. <laughs> no, and and that's the thing. And so how? How do you go with managing your mental health and your work and family life? How do you, what works for you? What, are, you know, I guess I'd love to know what, what makes a difference for you to be able to manage your depression. And I'd, I'd also love you, you to take us back to sort of when you first were able to get help that made a difference for you. Yeah, um, well, I'll start with the second question, I suppose, when I first... Uh, so, uh, again, I guess just going back and just to tell, to, I guess to help people understand, you know, it, it was a completely different, well, it was a different world in men- mental health space. So getting help was um, uh, it was a bit of a mystery, really. I mean, you just didn't really know where to look. So uh, I guess the, the first time uh, I got help, and uh, again, apologies to the listeners that might be triggered, but it really only happened uh, after I uh, attempted to end my life the first time. So... Um, not surprising. I've been struggling for a long time before that, but we, we, you know, we just didn't understand. You know, I had loving, caring parents and even good friends, I suppose, but just no one knew what was going on. And, and again, I hit it probably so. But, but that was clearly a crisis point and a point at which people realised, and I probably realised uh, how significant things were. Uh, so from that point, and again, I, you know, I was extremely lucky to, even though I was living out of home at the time and you know, left finished school, but I had very supportive parents who tried the best they could even you know, without knowing much what to do. So uh, to be honest, it took me um, probably three trials at different um, psych- well, psychiatrists, counsellor, therapist type people 
um, to find the right one. So the first one was just, you know, a contact of a content from my dad's, I think, who is a, um, a, a counsellor. And uh, look, in some ways it was helpful. It was the first time I'd ever talked to someone, I suppose. So in that sense, it was a, it was a massive relief. I'm, I can still remember actually this sort of unburdening, this weight coming off my shoulders, just having someone to listen. Uh, but with all due respect to her, um, she was a fairly, and I don't, you know, I don't know how knowledgeable the audience is, but she, uh, she, but she was you know, a non-directive counsellor, so uh, she listened very well. She was very empathic, but she didn't really offer me anything. And for me personally, I needed something a bit more prescriptive, I suppose, a bit more structured. So that, that helped for a bit, uh, but not quite enough. Um, and I'm, I'm boiling a lot of it down into very short summary, I suppose. But mm. We then went to a psychiatrist, uh, which was an absolute disaster. Uh, and I'm not saying, not saying all psychiatrists are, but uh, it just definitely wasn't right. In fact, it was quite damaging it was quite traumatizing in some ways I won't go into the detail but that mm. was very unpleasant um, and then again it took a bit you know a few years later I eventually found a clinical psychologist whose approach um, is, which is what I went on to specialize in was was cognitive behavior therapy um, CBT um, and um, uh, without um, overstating the significance of it it saved my life uh, she saved my life um, it was um, just massively eye-opening, oh, incredibly helpful. Um, and, and, you know, look, again, I know different approaches work for different people, but CBT for me at that time was just perfect. Um, mm. And so it helped me incredibly. Um, it helped me personally. It also helped me find my career in a way, indirectly. Um, and it just gave me the practical strategies I needed at that time and still utilised to some extent um, to, to get through what I was going through. So, so that was, you know, that, I mean, those, that was over the course of a couple of years. Um, and then since then, I've seen a number of different people. I, I still see a clinical psychologist on a regular basis. Um, and, um, but, you know, over the years, that's been on and off for different reasons, I suppose. And, you know, and I've dabbled in other approaches, particularly mindfulness um, and ACT, uh, acceptance commitment therapy. So, um, you know, but for me still, CBT is probably, with a bit of ACT and mindfulness thrown in, is probably the, the most helpful approach. So they're the sorts of things that still help me today. Um, uh, the, a couple of the other big things that I still find very helpful, so exercise is, is very, very helpful for me. I, I exercise um, uh, almost every day. And for me, that's um, uh, not just for the physical benefits, but for the psychological benefits, the mental health benefits. So I find exercise as probably one of the most effective antidepressants, stress busters. Um, and I've done that on and off, for, well, mostly on for quite a while now. Uh, I meditate on a regular basis and I find that helpful. I could still, uh, I do do it pretty much every day. I'd probably like to do it for slightly longer periods, I think would be helpful, but uh, but that's very important. Um, uh, the other probably most helpful thing, which I'm um, <laughs> not as good as that I'd like to be, and particularly when my depression hits, I, I struggle, but it's reaching out and talking to other people. Um, as well as having had very supportive and loving parents, I've now had and had for 20-something years now, a very supportive and loving wife. Um, uh, but when I, the biggest problem for me when my depression is, is I withdraw, uh, even from her. Uh, however, when I can reach out and ask her, when I talk to her and a few other, I've got a few you know, very good friends, and, um, then that's definitely helpful. I just, uh, you know, I struggle to do it during the really dark times, which is when I need it the most. So, so mm. they're probably the main things. I mean, finding a, a meaningful career has been incredibly helpful for me. I mean, that's my work has been, therapeutic in many ways um, and more recently or on top of that the charitable work I do um, with a youth mental health charity uh, has been very important so I'm now at a stage in my life and 
career where I can give a lot, which is very fulfilling. So yeah, they're probably the main things, I guess. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a review. To keep the conversation going, I'd love you to join me over on Instagram. You'll find me at Dr. Jody Richardson. Also, if you'd like a copy of my free five-day mini email course, Calm Your Anxious Brain, then jump over to my website, drjodyrichardson.com, and you can sign up down the bottom. I've really enjoyed having your company. Thanks so much. See you next time. Hi there, Dr. Jody Richardson here. Do you have a child who's feeling anxious about starting school, a tween who's transitioning to high school, or perhaps a teen who's changing campuses in 2024 or changing schools altogether? Transitions can be especially hard for our kids and teens because they go hand in hand with uncertainty. There are just so many unknowns. But what we know for sure is that uncertainty drives anxiety. And so if you have a child or teen who's feeling anxious about school for any reason, it's perfectly understandable. Left unchecked, anxiety around school can lead to a morning off here or a day off there, and these absences can escalate to school refusal, which is why I've created a new online program for parents called Well Hello School Anxiety. The program will run live over four weeks starting in mid-January, where you'll learn all about the brain, anxiety, and how to identify it, exactly what to do and say when anxiety around school shows up, powerful anxiety management strategies, you'll create a custom plan for your child's unique situation, you'll learn how to enrol the school's help to support your child through the school gate each morning, and so much more. You can learn more about this program and secure your place by heading to my website, drjodyrichardson.com and clicking through from the top of the homepage. I can't wait to work with you and help make school transitions in 2024 smoother and less stressful for the whole family.